Welcome to Boundaryless Leadership with Nozomi Morgan, the show where we explore leadership that transcends physical and psychological boundaries. Here's your host, Nozomi Morgan. Welcome to Boundaryless Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Nozomi Morgan. We explore the journey of executives, leaders, and professionals to learn how they have become a boundaryless leader. Today's guest is Ray East, and we just had him on the episode before, but we have so much to talk. We are continuing our conversation to this episode as well. So, Ray, welcome back. Thank you. It's good to be back. We had so much fun the last time. It deserves uh, another shot. Yes, it does. So for those who haven't had the chance to listen to the episode before, Ray and I talked a lot about boundaryless leadership and reason for being. And also Ray shared his journey to where he had and his journey of how he has become who he is today and his boundaryless leadership journey as well. And yeah, so much that we talked about. And of course, we can continue to talk more and more about boundaryless leadership. But I really wanted to dedicate another episode to talk more about appreciative inquiry. And and I'll talk a little bit about that, this, what appreciative inquiry is. Let's actually start from there. So appreciative inquiry is made up of two words, obviously, appreciative and inquiry. So appreciative and, and Ray, jump in at any moment because I am not always the best to explain this, but I should be. So appreciative is really about, as the word explains, really appreciating the strengths and the uniqueness and, you know, the best case scenarios or the best, the success stories, all that, appreciating that. And then really inquiring, like, how can we, how did we do that? Or how can we do more of that? That's the easiest way that I explain this. It's really a it's really a strength-based methodology that was developed in the 1980s by David Cooperwriter, who was actually a graduate student at that time, I believe, at Case Western Reserve University. And he was working on an organizational diagnosis of the Cleveland Clinic. And that's where this has started. And now it has become a very robust, innovative methodology for organizational change. And so actually, I have one of his books here. It's called the Appreciative Inquiry Handbook for Leaders of Change. And it's written by David Cooperwriter, who I just mentioned, and also his colleague, Diana Whitney, and Jacqueline Stavros, whom we both have had opportunity to sit and listen and learn from these amazing people. And Ray and I share a mentor, and his name is John Berghoff, who runs an amazing company called Exchange. And I'm actually going to have him on in the very, very near future. For those who who are listening in, please make sure that you tune into that episode. John is... Now I know your podcast is legit. When you're, when you're <laughs> John Berghoff, oh my goodness. Now I feel very uh, honored yes. to be here. <laughs> yes, yes. So John Berghoff is an immediate, what do you call it? Immediate student, or he worked 
with David Cooper Ryder for years at Case Western Reserve University. And so he's a direct disciple from David. And we currently are mentored and work with and learn from John and his team. So I feel, you know, it's not often that you get to work directly with people that actually developed the methodology, right? Working and learning from them. So I feel so blessed that we're in that in this time. And absolutely. Right. So there's me. Yeah. Okay. After you. No, I was just going to say, so I just really wanted to share with folks that I know appreciative inquiries. Some people really, really know this. And for every day, I mean, including myself, I didn't, I've heard of it for years, but I actually didn't really, really know what it was until pretty recent, I would say the past few years. And really, so let me actually share with you. I was in a workshop that John Berghoff, our mentor, led. And through my corporate career, I've been in so many trainings, so many workshops in my life, you know, working for a Fortune 100 company, you get those opportunities. I facilitate stuff myself. But my literally, my mind was blown. And my jaw dropped, like all those expressions like happened. I have never been in a training workshop, whatever you want to call it, led in the way that John and Steve, his uh, co-facilitator did. And I was just absolutely blown away. And immediately I was like, how can I become like him? How can I grow up and be like you? And I didn't ask John the immediate question, but I remember sitting in that room I'm being like, I want to know what, what you do. And I know that there was a Q&A session. And I think I literally asked him, like, how do you do what you do? And I think he probably, he's so kind, right? And he's so cool and, and calm. So he answered in a very, he answered the question in a very eloquent way that served that moment. But I knew in the back of his mind is like, it takes years and years of, you know, training to get here. But I was just blown away, like literally. And I know this excitement does not, transfer through the sound waves to everyone how blown away I was but yeah that's all I can say so yeah there yeah go ahead something that John you know has said is that if you asked three different people about what is appreciative inquiry each one will give you a slightly different way of describing it because it's it's describing a really it's a dynamic it's not a static thing it's kind of different but so I love what you just said and to, to add to that too like a the words appreciative, to appreciate something, it means to value something. And it also means, you know, the verb to appreciate means to increase in value. And I love that because, and then the, the word, you know, word inquiry has to do with questioning and asking powerful questions and seeking. And so it's, it's kind of seeking the value, seeking to appreciate the value, to increase the value of, in a way, in a human system that's solving problems. So there's this uh, great you know, I don't know if it's a seminal article, but one of the kind of seminal articles that out there called the Essentials Essentials of Appreciative Inquiry, a roadmap for creating positive cultures by Bernard Moore and Jane Magruder Watkins. And it's just a really, it was helpful in helping me to wrap my head around like, what is appreciative inquiry exactly? And why are people raving about it so much? And so the idea is, um, it starts off with this quote from Einstein, which is, you know, paraphrasing it, but basically the, you know, Problems cannot be solved at the same level of thinking that created them. You need something new. You need a new way to solve the, the problems that are, you know, the, the most intractable problems are, are there. And it 
appreciative inquiry is really about uh, departing from the kind of Western scientific model of inquiry, where, where we kind of have this very uh, this idea of, of linear logic and uh, dissecting things to understand them. And it's really been helpful for as a culture to you know for technological advances like the iPhone or the space shuttle, and it's, it's worked phenomenal. But when we take a look at how have we progressed in terms of developing human systems like families or nations or corporations or teams. You know, many people are asking, like, why have we progressed so little in terms of developing our human systems compared to our technological ones? And so what some social scientists were noticing was that as they started asking questions of people in organizations about their performance and everything, the, the organization started to change at the very instance that the question was asked. And so it's um, kind of a, a this, something that... The, a, renowned physicist called Werner von Heisenberg back in the 20s, he came up with this great example of the physical world. And he basically popularized the idea that the act of inserting a thermometer into a glass of water to determine the water's temperature will change that temperature. So just by the very act of inquiring about the temperature, you change the temperature of the glass. And so, you know, by extension, you know, studying a company or a team or a community changes that company or team or community. And so the researchers found that, you know, this change began from the very first questions that a leader or consultant would ask. And so the whole idea came about of like, how can we harness this magnetic pull of questions? And so I'm just quoting here what the the authors of uh, this article said here. They said, rather than concentrate on the breakdowns and malfunctions, we've begun to ask if the act of studying a system alters it, why not do so in ways that create movement towards peak experiences? or successes. So they started to really discover the, the the power of positively framed questions. So yeah, I just wanted to, to throw that into the mix as well. Yeah, absolutely. So since you're talking about the article, which is a, such a well-written and really shares like the the cases and the origins, and as Ray, as you explained, the, you know, the power of the positive question. Since we're on that article, I'll, I'll, I'll just read some parts that it really stood out for me and really helps me to understand what AI is. So it talk, It says here, when people focus on human ideals and achievements, peak experiences and best practices, these things, not the conflicts, we tend to flourish. And then it says, AI is an emerging approach to organizational transformation based on a deceptively simple premise, which I think, I, which is the part I love, that it's simple, that organizations grow in the direction of what they repeatedly ask questions about and focus their attention on. So everything that you said is the key, right? By what we pay attention to grows. And that's kind of the continuum of the conversation we had earlier about creation, right? If you want to create, if we want to create more good, if you want to create more innovation, you have to pay attention to that. And really asking, repeatedly asking questions around that. And you mentioned, you know, the power of questions. And it's also the, we have to ask the powerful questions, the right questions. And that's where the art comes and how, you know, we work with our clients to really hone in to what the right questions are. Because questions are simple. We're not asking like a paragraph of questions. It's really asking the questions. Kind of like Ray, again, going back to what you said earlier in the the last episode about asking, you know, the Uber or Lyft driver about what is your dream? That in itself is a powerful question. You don't have to know the person's whole life story. But just honing into just that question 
really tells a lot about that person because depending on what dream it is, you know, everyone has different dreams and tells a whole story in itself. So yeah, so thank you for bringing that article up. It's an amazing article. So for those, you can probably, I think you can Google this and it will come up. It's the Essentials of Appreciative Inquiry, A Roadmap for Creating Positive Futures by Bernard J. Moore and J. Magruder Watkins. And then I do want to share, kind of being a little academic here, going back to the book, let me see, the Appreciative Inquiry Handbook, like the Bible. (laughs) Appreciative Inquiry, it's really heavy. I'd have to shift it over. So the assumption, so AI, first of all, is was designed or developed for organizational change. And that's the work that we do. And we do this for and with uh, global organizations. That's our, I say little, but our sweet spot. And the assumption, and it, it's written actually at the very introduction here, the assumption is very, very simple that every organization has something that works right. Things that give it life when it is most alive, effective, successful, and connected in healthy ways to its stakeholders and communities. I mean, there in itself, I think is such a beautiful statement. Like that's the assumption that, and this is where in Ray today, I mean, there's millions of directions we can go. What I love about AI the most is really the spirit of it like the core belief that it has, like in this assumption itself, I think it really speaks. It assumes that everything is good, right? People are good. Companies are good. And that's really what I truly believe to, you know, before reading all this, before all, you know, getting, you know, intellectually heavy, that is something I knew when I was working corporate, when I was, you know, my last, my last job at Delta as a corporate person, like I knew that companies, very good companies, the ones that are, that they all really want to do, to they are good and they want to be good. It's just that some companies lose their ways and some companies just don't know how to do that or some leaders just don't know how to do that. But if we can come from a place of just, you know, assuming, believing and have faith that they all want to do something good in healthy ways, we're, and that's where expert like us come in and help them to do that. Because they're not experts in doing that. We are the ones. And that's really what drives me in, in my passion. But I'll continue on. And it says, AI begins by identifying what is positive and connecting to it in ways that heighten energy, vision, and action for change. So like I said, this is the first page of the introduction. You don't even have to read how many pages this book, like thousands of pages. But that's what it says in the very, very beginning. Don't you think that's so beautiful and powerful? Uh, It it is so powerful. And um, just I cannot underscore how powerful, how how different the solutions that you come up with are when you approach things from with that positivity and appreciative inquiry versus the normal way that we do things. And a lot of times, some people, when they are first hearing about appreciative inquiry, especially executives, they're kind of like, well, being so positive, isn't that kind of just being like pie in the sky, like dreamy, like like that's never going to come up. We're never going to be able to do things in the real world if we're just constantly living in fantasy land. And people don't understand that, you know, like problem solving, putting out fires, like, is there a place for that? Well, of course, you know, if, if there's a fire in the building, let's, you know, get the fire department in, <laughs> like that we got to respond to it. But the problem becomes when simply trying to correct problems becomes not an event, but a lifestyle. It's what it, it becomes kind of this thing and people start to become jaded after all, even too. So what's great about appreciative inquiry is that, you know, it's really, I found it serves well with, when, when we 
and for me, myself and my clients as well, that when we take time aside to like do strategic planning or just thinking through like, where are we, where are we going? Where do we, just in those moments, it's important not to try to problem solve as much as it is to have those positive questions because that assume, you know, like, Hey, we all want to be helpful. We all want to grow on that. And just, I know that just if we, you and I have worked just a few weeks ago with a, with a Fortune 500 company, and we were going to facilitate a strategic planning kind of a retreat. And by asking questions that grounded people in what was good and positive about their own strengths, about their own history, about where they wanted to go and what's possible for the future, and think like the energy in the room, just as people were talking, there was such a buzz and such an excitement. People were coming alive. And it was more than just a whole bunch of individuals coming alive. It was like a system coming alive. There were a lot of leaders from this company in that room, some of them from Japan, some of them from the United States of America, and like across cultures, like, and, but they were all sharing in this unifying sense of purpose and joy and direction over what's possible as everyone, you know, kind of answered questions about, you know, what was, what, what, what is, and where do we want to go, and the positive stuff. And so I have no doubt that the results they got from that strategic planning retreat are very different than had they gone about strategic planning, just looking, what are our strengths and our weaknesses and our threats and our opportunities? And how do we you know, shore up this? And okay, what if we try to do this? Let's increase that by 15%. Very different outcomes, all because of how they approach things. And that's the power of appreciative inquiry. Yeah, absolutely. So it was so interesting, right? So the so this client, you know, Ray, that we worked on together, is the leader in their industry. They're in this, like, what do I call it? They're in the insurance industry and they're one of the leading companies, leading brands in there. And they're truly a global company. We, like you said, we had leaders from Asia, we had leaders from Europe, and we had leaders from the US. And they are really looking to truly find global solutions. So not just a solution that serves the US market or or serves a US team, or serves the Asia team. They're really looking for solutions that will be a win-win for all the all the teams and not just being US centric because a lot of times what we see working with global companies for example headquartered in the US or we work with a lot of companies that are headquartered in Japan is what typically happens is they have amazing solutions or amazing systems, amazing products that are that headquarters centric. And the, I would say the subsidiaries or the local markets, the non-headquarter markets are basically applying that to the local market, but they're kind of band-aiding things the way to go to so that it will fit into the market or fit into their office or their operations. And it, But it's not, they don't have a lot of say into, let's just use a system as an example, but the like certain systems, they don't have a lot of say to it. They're just kind of handed it and they just have to apply it in the best way they can. So they do workarounds or actually it's not as efficient. So they might have dual systems, one that they use in their local market and one that the headquarter tells them to use. So it actually creates more work, like reportings. They actually have more reportings and they want to. I see that all the time with the clients that we work with. But what we've, you know, what we were doing with this particular client was they were looking ways to not being, you know, US centric because this company is a, the headquarters is in the US, but they really 
what we heard, you know, when we were talking to the executives and the senior VP said very clearly when we were doing our planning meetings is that we want this to be a win-win for everyone. We want to truly want this to be, you know, solutions that we're developing together as a team and not that, you know, the U.S. told them to do something. And that was being very clear from the very first conversation that we had. Um, and it speaks to the culture of the company, but also it's just amazing how that was very clear. And that's why when we approached them and talked about that, we thought, you know, appreciative inquiry, the methodology that we use uh, will be, you know, be powerful for them. We, you know, really, I thought when I had those conversations, I think this is really the way to go. You know, they were so open to it because they saw immediately like exactly that's what we want. We want everyone's input. We want this to be a co-creation of a solution and not a solution, again, that we're forcing onto them and, and having them to implement it. So that was a kind of a background of the story. But, you know, one I thing. Love- yeah, go ahead. Just, I was just thinking, Nozomi, just in terms of the, because so much of your Michiki Morgan's, uh, the, your focus has been on U.S. and Japanese companies. And I mean, it's a, you, have, you certainly serve the entire world, but a lot of, of, of what you have focused on has been the, the Japan-U.S. focus. How does appreciative inquiry land for Japanese leaders and, and companies? And is it something very different from Japanese culture or is it kind of do you see um, commonalities as well or, or themes from Japanese culture that are honored in it? So I don't know if the Japanese part makes it different. I just think a lot of companies have been very hierarchical in the way they they create solutions that could be U.S. as well. It's a, I think it's more of like a generational thing. <laughs> like, for example, we do work with startup, like the Silicon Valley type of, of companies. They're mm-hmm. very flat, right? So even if, regardless of where they, they come from, that, that kind of type of companies are very flat. So they're very open to listening to, it doesn't matter how, how old you are, how much experience you have, it's pretty flat. A lot of the companies that we've worked with in Japan or Japanese companies here in the US are mega companies, meaning they're huge. They have, you know, we're talking about companies that have 20, 30, 40, 100,000 employees, like they have a lot of employees. So naturally, they're very hierarchical, just because, I mean, how do you operate a company with like 50,000 people without having different levels and departments and all that, right? Sure. So that's where we see a little, the, the one the challenges, but and so, but because of that, they have big scale challenges. They're very siloed, and that's where a lot of times that we come in and help them to break that silo because they they see how that makes it very inefficient. There's a lot of redundant work. We also see how that impacts the customer side. So, for example, they might be different departments might be serving the same customer. For the customer, they're they're like, wait, we're working with you already. Why are we doing this all over again? So there's a redundancy and inefficiency and bad impression (laughs) towards the client because they they don't make it really simple. They they feel like they don't have their act together. Like, please talk, you know, internally about these certain things. Like, why are we, why are we burdened because you don't have your act together? Like we, we've seen that on our clients and as well. So what's amazing about appreciative inquiry is actually this was developed in 
one of the articles, maybe it's a different article, not the article that we brought up earlier, but, you know, appreciative inquiry has been, for example, used in like in the military, like in, in the Navy, one of their appreciative in- inquiry events that they've done was with, I believe, like 500 or 800 people in the Navy from the admiral to, you know, younger officers. And that organization is extremely hierarchical, right? Like that's the order like that. And I'm not a military person, so I'm just speaking from being an outside person. But I, my understanding is it's probably the most structured organization in any country. But they found that they needed in order to be the best, they needed to break through that because when you do, when you create solutions in silos, one, it's very small. So you can only do small scale change because it's only in that one area. So which means it makes it very slow to make the change for the entire organization. But with appreciative inquiry, you can make that big change very quickly because you're bringing all the stakeholders into one place. Another thing is because of that, you're also bringing in really diverse ideas that if you did it in silo might have not come up because you're only seeing it from that that small perspective. Mm -hmm. And as we all know in today's world, our challenges are so much more complex. One department cannot fix everything and everything is interconnected. So really that system thinking of realizing that if you change one thing here, it impacts the whole ecosystem. And a lot of companies, again, different maturity level, different industries, but back in the days, a lot of things were done in one company. Like you were able to complete all your, automotive is a good example. Back in the days, everything was done in one company. Like G, Ford, you know, all of them did everything themselves. But in today's world, they have millions of suppliers that service, that serve. They can't, you know, they can't build a vehicle without these millions of suppliers, which means if you change something, you got, it changes everything, right? It impacts so many people that are outside of your organization. So that's where, you know, appreciative inquiry brings in all those stakeholders and really looks looks at the challenge, or uh, when I say challenge, meaning that vision that they want to create, that world that they want to create, that product they want to create, in a holistic way that really shortens that distance, but also brings in so many diverse, different ways of looking at it. Like when you, if you're in the higher up in the food chain, I would say food chain is probably not the good word, but in the supply chain. And if you're in different levels, right, you see that differently. And it's not good or bad. It's just you need everyone's perspective to really find an innovative solution if you're really looking to become the best of the best. So to answer your question, I know you talked about how AI might be, if it's different or what might be a challenge for Japanese culture, I would say this, I think there's similar challenges. We are so used to like that old paradigm of let's solve the problem. We solve our own problems. And also we're always looking at let's, let's solve the problem, which AI is about, we're solving the problem is like 20%. So there's a 2080, uh, David Cooper writer talks about shifting the 2080 to from, you get the problem used to be the 80 and really looking forward is the 20 or the this you know the 
the change part is the 20, but it, we're shifting it to 20 because you still have to solve the problem. <laughs> but solving a problem is not the goal. That is just part of the process. Mm-hmm. And you're really looking to create that excellence, that transformation. So they talk about, you know, AI as that creating that positive change or positive revolution is some of the words that they use in, in this handbook. So we're not talking about companies that are or, or people. AI is not for, or for companies that are looking for status quo, right? Yes. We're not talking about same old, same old. If that's the case, then this is not for you. Not at all. This is about creating a positive and preferred vision of the future and yeah. with energy. Right, which is that sustainable growth in order to continue to grow all the time. Because sustainable growth, mean it, it, which means you're continue to grow all the time, right? Which is going back to being creative mm-hmm. all the time. I, you know, I just have got to tie this because like I'm connecting all the dots in my mind, but <laughs> you and what I perceive inquiry is about and, and what the outcomes. And so just now, even just there. So one, just a boundaryless leadership is a leadership framework that you've come up with. But to say you've come up with it is, is almost like that's not what the news is to me. Because it, it, it really just you've pointed to some eternal truths that were really powerfully preserved in the Japanese culture, but are universal. And they dovetail, I see appreciative inquiry as really furthering all of them. So you just talked about like continuous improvement. Like you, you better want, that's Kaizen. That's one yep. of the elements of boundaryless leadership yep. that you just talked about. And I just literally think each one of the elements of like, just I'm absolutely going to butcher some of these, but like Kansha means gratitude. Yep. Sugi, embracing imperfection. Ichigo Ichien? You know, Ichigo Ichie. Yep. Ichie. Thank you. A once in a lifetime type of meeting and then Kawa River overcoming obstacles and Kaizen can, can, you know, continual renewal and improvement. Like none of these things will happen in their optimal form and, and, and really you know, like kind of just uh, cause the exponential type of outcomes unless you have the energy of the positive energy of a appreciative inquiry guiding them all. But I just thought it was just beautiful. I see just this huge connection between those really yeah. positive Japanese virtues and what appreciative inquiry fuels. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for, you know, connecting that because that's exactly, I think, the reason why appreciative inquiry was so impactful for me when I really, truly knew what it was because it just felt so natural in the way that we already... So boundaryless leadership, the framework has been developed over years and years and years of my own experience in the corporate, but also through the training and the study that I have done through these years as an executive coach. So it's, and, you know, obviously my education at, at Yale, at the business school and, and everything, right. It's everything that I've learned and and invested all these years. (laughs) It's scary to say, but probably like 30 years of, you know, real life experience in, in the industry and um, studies and, and all that and working with clients as well. And, you know, as a company, we've been, we're celebrating full 10 years. So we've done a lot of work, you know, Congratulations. Real, well, thank you so much. And you're part of that too. You're a, a huge part of our team. So all of that is where how Boundaries Leadership came together. And to your point, so it really connects with appreciative inquiry. For example, the one that you mentioned. So we have, there's the foundation is reason for being, which we talked a lot about in our episode before, which is really the purpose. Like, why am I here? Who am I? Why am I here? And 
then we have the five elements, which you beautifully said. So it starts with gratitude, kansha, which means gratitude in Japanese. And then we talked about kintsugi, which is embracing imperfection. And that's the part really is about, you know, not being afraid of failing, making mistakes, really looking at, and that's the strength part, embrace imperfection, because a lot of us don't realize that actually the, the things that we feel that are, that we're not that we feel that we're we're not enough is where is why it's so hard to see our strengths and our beauty as well. So that's why embracing all of it helps us to actually see who we are fully instead of seeing like, oh, but I have so many flaws. Like actually all of that is is what makes it amazing as a person, as an organization as well. No one's ever going to be, how do you say that? You're never going to, like we, we talked about earlier, Ray, in our other episode too, I'll never be you and you'll never be me. So <laughs> we need to love ourselves as we are and organizations too. We need to love our organization, all the people that are in there as we are. And then we have Ichigo Ichie, which is really being in the moment. It means it, a direct translation is, you know, we only meet once is what it actually means. But to kind of expand that, it means being present in the moment. And that in order to be curious, right, in order to be empathetic, in order to see what's really going on, you have to be present. You can't be absent-minded in doing that. In order to ask powerful questions, in order to focus and pour energy into something, you have to be present in that moment. And that's where that really comes. I, I love the way that just that idea of you only meet once, like even like, for instance, right now, you and I are meeting. And even though I am really hoping we get to meet again <laughs> uh, soon, there's beauty in treating this like in valuing you in this conversation right now and think I will. This is the only t- chance I get to meet Nozomi in th- this state of mind, given what yeah. she's done now with what she has to offer to me today, as right. opposed to what she may be able to offer me tomorrow. Let me pay, be present here because there's there's gold here. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. And that's why, and that also leads to, in all of these, leads to respect, right? Respect your time, respect our relationship, except respect you being here. So it, it all, there's like lots that goes into that, just being present in the moment. It's not just like um being present, like it's not like meditating, just being present. It's really, that's why it's like, you'll come prepared to meetings, right? Because if this is the only time I'm ever going to get to see you again, if there's no again, that I need to put everything I have into this moment. So it also means in other you know, iterations, it could also mean do your best every moment, every day, which means it might, it won't be perfect, but you're going to do your best. So that's, there's a lot of, you know, meaning into this. And then for kawa means river in Japanese. So we talk about flow. So energy flow, the flow in systems, right? Like that efficiency, all of that goes into the flow, but also you mentioned about, you know, overcoming objectives or obstacles, sorry. So that's one, but also it means you might want to create more flow. Think about how can you create more flow in your life, in your organization, in your team, in the system, like that may, will change the way you look at things. Sometimes it means removing the obstacles. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it means you go around the obstacles. Sometimes it means maybe the obstacle, you know, leverage that obstacle. Or and those it, positive questions that appreciative inquiry embraces. Yeah. It's like the ideal tool to get your team to like, ask it, like, how can we create flow? That's inherently positive. 
Yes. Now that's inherently like, oh, that's a perfect in- appreciative inquiry type of question. Exactly. Yeah. So we're not talking about how can we move this obstacle? It's like, how can we create flow? And so that's why the river analogy, looking at the river bank, kind of like cutting the river, and you can see there's there could be a big rock and there could be like debris. Sometimes you can use like the tree to actually move the rock, right? So the obstacle becomes a tool that you can actually move something or you might, it kind of goes back to you, that rock, you might not be able to move because it's so big by yourself as an individual, but that's where you might invite other parties to help you. So So all of that goes into the flow. So even with flow, or it might mean, well, maybe this flow is not the right one. We might need to move into something else, like go, you know, go dig another hole or something or a path. There's a lot of different ways. And that's why creating, how do we create more flow? And we talk about this a lot as also when we do like executive coaching and helping people. And sometimes, you know, when they're struggling with working with their team, it might be, well, how do you create more flow for yourself? That might be actually, that leads to the capacity, the conversation that we had. Um, Actually, it might be, maybe you need to create more capacity for yourself. And we see this a lot with leaders that they take on too much. Mm. Like emotionally, they were like, I can't, I can't share with my team how hard things are. Well, is that really serving your team by doing that, by holding on to so much? Maybe that's actually, you know, by you burning yourself out, right? Trying too much is actually holding your team back or make or creating a negative influence on your team. So that, you know, um, that flow part is, is again, another big area. And then, like you said, continuous improvement, Kaizen, which is one that I think the word that most of people have heard because it's so well known in the operations world and, and, and in general, but that too. So we're, it never stops. We'll never arrive, but also there's, and that goes back to actually the Ichigo Ichie when we talked about this moment only comes once, or this meeting is only once, is that you always learn and you always do your best in that moment, which means every moment you're always improving because we can always do better. I can sit better. I can breathe better. You know, I can eat better. There's always thing you can do better. And it doesn't have to be a burden. It really is just about how can we continuously better ourselves, that ourselves leads to teams and everything, right? On organizations as well. How, how can we always, you know, do better? And this kind of goes back to that assumption that I read about AI is that every organization has something that works right, things that give it life when it is most alive, effective, successful, and connected in healthy ways to its stakeholders communities. So always, you know, trying to do that in a healthy way. So continuous improvement is not about, you know, pushing and forcing. It's always trying, well, how can we just be better? You know, how can we be our best and our best always is be our better best or best, better, no, better, best, right? So that's really what boundaryless leadership is. And that's how we bring in appreciative inquiry into big scale change for organizations, the cultural change, organizational cultural change, or to, or helping you know departments work better together or helping teams to work better together or helping leaders to be you know more powerful leaders. So the boundaries leadership and appreciative inquiry really works hand in hand. And we're really blessed that we have such a, that we're, have this methodology that is, you know, scientifically proven has been 
utilized in so many what are called prestigious, you know, organizations like we talked about the Navy earlier, but Facebook, BMW, Nike, all those big names that everyone knows, and including our clients that we've that we've worked with, you know, all have applied AI and have significant, you know, changes and they are continuously, you know, growing and evolving, you know, so we're really, I would say, blessed and really grateful that we have a strong understanding and ability to use the appreciative inquiry method with our, you know, proprietary framework, which is the boundless leadership, which is really unique to our experiences and our training being and not being so-called US centric and really being more look, bringing in our, the, our, the Japanese heritage into this, but being more, I don't know if you call it universal, but being more international in a sense of that it's something that whatever culture it is, they can really appreciate it. <laughs> Talk about appreciative inquiry. They can appreciate it. And it's, yeah, it's a universal principle, I should say. Yeah. I mean, and to me, at the end of the day, when I think about what does appreciative inquiry and boundaryless leaders, like what type of a difference does that make as I have worked with Wichiki Morgan? I mean, taking a step back from the details of the execution of the client engagements, everything like that, if you just stop and think like, what difference is this making in the world? that we are, are honored to be able to help to bring this change in the, the, the culture and the energy. And not, maybe not a huge change, or maybe it is a huge change in a, in, a, in a client, but just think about a world where people were, you know, an organization when you went to work and everybody was really fired up about their sense of purpose and they practiced gratitude. And when they met you, they treated it as if it was, you only meet once, so I'm going to be present here. And they paid attention to like, how can we achieve the maximum state of flow in terms of what we're doing here? And they were constantly trying to, you know, continuously improve, like, oh my goodness, I want to work for that organization. <laughs> right? like, that's a great place to work. And that's what the, the philosophy and kind of the, the spirit of Michigan Morgan is, which is why I wanted to work with you guys as well. So it's just cool because it really is something that's it's not just practical, it's also noble. And it just feels really good. to. Ah, thank you for it. saying that. Yeah, well, you know, years and years of, of in development, and it, and it continuously improves as well. It's never static. It's it's not set in stone. It continues to evolve as we work with more clients and really, you know, get the feedback, meaning, you know, seeing it in real time. And as the world keeps on evolving, it, you know, this evolves as well, which is the the beauty of of appreciative inquiry and beauty of boundaries leadership. One thing I was, as you were saying that, it really came to mind, you know, what the big, the biggest or the joy that I feel, you know, watching the clients that we work with is that they all come out, and this might sound really cheesy, but they come out smiling. And I think, you know, as cheesy as that sounds, you know, we all know this, you know, you want your employees to be happy and you want them to enjoy, even at hard times, you want them to enjoy that challenge. And, you know, one thing I was really touched or really, I felt, you know, especially, you know, a couple of weeks ago when we worked together, because it was in person, you know, we had about 50, 50 plus, maybe it was more like 60, I think it was 65, 65 uh, people. Yeah. 
in the room in person is that everyone was smiling, right? They haven't been together for two and a half years, close to three years. Some have never met before. And they're, and we won't, you know, disclose everything because it's our client, but, you know, they are dealing with extremely heavy stuff. They deal with people's extreme private personal information, lives, impacts. Their customers deal with life and death. And that's what this group really, truly needs to protect. And like I said, they deal with really heavy stuff. And and I know they have a lot of responsibility because they talk about that. They know and, you know, but it was really, really exciting to see. And I was really touched to see that they were all, you know, smiling and really were connecting. And like you said, Ray, connecting to the purpose, like, you know, why it's so important for them to work together so well. Why is it so important for them to do better, to be better? And so seeing that sense of purpose, instead of being that like, oh, wait, I have to do more work. It was like, <laughs> oh, yay, let's do this. You know, and that was so exciting to see. And that had, that was way beyond, you know, even the, typically we say, you know, Japanese are not as, ex- as don't express as much, but we use, you know, uh, you were there, they, you could see they were excited too, you know, and that really transcends language and culture and all that we had, you know, interpreters. Wait, how many were there? Like about eight, eight to ten interpreters yeah. in the room. So there was a lot of different, you know, language barriers and all that. But you could, but still, the excitement and the connection was there. Connection amongst the team, but also with a purpose and the, that bigger purpose that they have. And I, I, I've said I've embarrassed you before with this. I'm probably yeah. doing it now on the podcast, yeah. but I, you know, when I was first getting to know you and I said, oh, Nozomi, what a great name. We're like, what does that name mean in Japanese? And you tell me, oh, it means hope. And I thought, wow, how perfect, because literally that's part of what you do. That's part of your reason for being. Like yeah. <laughs> you, you come into an engagement and when you leave, people have more hope about what it was that they were planning and hoping for. And like, and it just goes kind of cool to, to see that all come together. But yeah, yeah it just, yeah, I, I really like that. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. So that's what I see in, in every engagement that we do. You know, we worked with sales teams, sales organizations. We've worked with, you know, executive teams for, you know, in the auto industry, chemical industry, lots of different industries like bottling, IT. Oh, I can't, they're like nonprofits. We've worked with a lot of different companies and some of them are, you know, going back to it really critical and uh, like food and beverage we have a lot of different industries we work with but what i always see at the end of the day is especially when we with appreciative inquiry the, the exciting part is that how how connected they feel how excited they are so the smiles on their face you know some people like i joke with, about my husband a lot but he's on the grumpy side <laughs> if it was like the seven doors and we have the snow white he'll be probably grumpy but you know and there's people like that out there, right? And but they also have that quiet fire that's lit. And it's really it's so cool to see that. And you know, Ray, you and I, when we were getting ready to leave, you know, and we're kind of chatting with the attendees, the leaders, you know, someone came up to us and said, 
you know, typically I don't like these kind of sessions, but they, but he really enjoyed it. And that's, you know, I think a huge compliment. That, that was amazing. Right. So people that typically don't, you know, and also the senior VP, he said, you know, like he doesn't like the kind of that are the rah-rah kind of sessions and it's nothing like that. But with those powerful questions that we ask and the design that we do working with our, you know, partnering with our clients and really taking the time to getting to know them and making sure that it's aligned with who they are, it really, you know, connects with them and goes deep into their heart. So we don't have to rah-rah dance around or, you know. What hurts about rah-rah is when you do rah-rah from the outside in. Yeah. And there's somebody else out there, some leader going, okay, now we're going to get excited about this, rah, rah, rah. And you're like, oh, well, please, just like, we're, yeah. but what happens with the pressure of inquiry and powerful questions is like when you're engaged in answering a positive question about that celebrating your strengths and the strengths of the people around you and what you have done and how can you build upon the success of what you've already done. And with few, there's just this natural enthusiasm that overflows. And nobody's manufactured it. It's mm-hmm. not like coerced. It's not contrived. And you don't you don't need to do it, but you just end up wanting to do it. Like it's just there, and you realize yeah. like, and the buzz in the room goes up. But it's just so much more organic when it happens from the inside out rather than the outside in. Yeah, I love what you just said. It it, it is organic, and I think what it really allows. And this is again, and we can keep on raving about this forever. But. <laughs> One of the, I think the the powerful things about appreciative inquiry, it really creates a safe space for everyone to just be themselves, and they can express themselves in their in the way that they feel most comfortable and authentic. We, you know, because they speak, they can speak from their heart, and it's really designed for everyone to feel, you know, that they belong in that room and they're heard, and we we hear each person, right? Each, every single, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, 65, like this time, or if it's 10, or if it's 500 or a thousand, because we've done this also virtually, you know, at conferences, like when I've been doing speaking, you know, we still use the same methodology. Now, it doesn't matter, each person really is heard. And I think that's something you know, that is so powerful. And that's why they that inside out, like you just said, happens and it's not forced at all. In other words, if you don't want to be there, you don't have to be there, right? So yeah, it's very, it's very powerful and so excited to do more of this work. Actually, we are, we have been, but we're doing more and more, bringing more of this work to Japan and to, to Asia because we know how powerful it is. And it really, and we have seen this over and over again. It doesn't, you know, like you experience, you can have interpreters in the room, doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter how many languages are the room. Of course, you know, logistically, there's things that we have to navigate, but it is absolutely transcends culture. And it's such a powerful methodology that really with this and, and appreciative inquiry and boundaries leadership, um, there's so many you know, changes, like positive, like whole system changes that I think there's more that we can do. And I'm super excited to bring that. I will say this just like about that last client engagement that we had, where we had a room full of people from who spoke different languages. Uh, Many of them didn't, did not speak each other's language. So they needed the interpreters. So I grew up with, you know, both my parents working in the United Nations and, you know, I went to the United Nations International School and I'm used to it 
languages, interpreters required conferences. I've, I've seen lots of them. I have never seen a room full of people who could not speak the same language be so unified in their passion and energy to come up with creative solutions and to think about like, I've never seen that. Like, there's always a sense of everybody's a little bit reserved and it's hard to understand because the interpreter, and so the, the, the energy is just, you know, the standard energy maybe at best, but that was not the case at all because of the power of the appreciative inquiry approach. And I, I don't want to make it sound like I, oh, the appreciative inquiry is the answer to everything. It, it's not, but it's powerful. And in terms of just boundaryless leadership, like, wow, what is it? It's crazy. The unifying factor across cultures, across languages that's possible when you really get everybody talking about what matters most. Yeah. And yes, what matters most. And that's the ultimate question really about, you know, what matters most. And another little thing that episode that happened was one of the Japanese leaders, she came over and said, because I was uh, talking to like, she made a, a, you know, a comment she shared, she presented and she said, well, my, the other person that she was working with who teamed up, you know, said, I need to share. And when I say I need to share, meaning was really encouraging her to, you know, stand up and share. And I think that's the, going back to the beauty, right? And you, that each other is encouraging each other to, to be heard and supporting. And typically, and I think that for her, that was the first time she attended one of these strategic meetings, but the others are, you know, supporting and cheering you know, in a way that she felt comfortable. Cause I remember in that session, she was the first one who like stood up and shared, which is not a typical Japanese thing to do. Typically Japanese always, you know, don't raise hands, never say anything. If they would, it would be at the end, the last person. So non-Japanese and, you know, females have challenges around that a lot too. So I think that was just such, so amazing to see that and see how this really helps people to not compete with each other, but really work together, co-create together. And yeah, it was so beautiful. And, you know, they're amazing people and we are very blessed to have, you know, clients like them and other clients that we've worked with that really just have really just this beautiful human beings. And I know that is why they want to do better. And we are absolutely here to keep on supporting them and working with other organizations that, you know, want to be, to continue to be better. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess if I were to conclude this would be, I'm just so grateful talking about Kansha. It's a kind of full circle in a boundaries leadership is really grateful, <laughs> right? For these opportunities, grateful for these companies, grateful for, you know, the world that we live in with all these challenges, knowing that's you know, there's people out there that want to do better and make things better. So yeah, so grateful. Yeah, it's been an honor to be have this conversation with you and to, to get to work with you as well and see you put a lot of these principles into practice. And it's just a lot of fun. So thank you for letting me come along for the ride. Oh, thank you. So I am, my last words would be I am grateful for you, Ray. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here. And thank you for being a valuable member of Michiki Morgan Worldwide. Yeah, we're so great. We're so lucky, aren't we? (laughs) (laughs) I feel that way. (laughs) Well, awesome, awesome. Well, thank you so much. So for those who are interested to, who didn't have the chance to hear our episode before this, we talked a lot about Boundless Leadership and talked a lot about 
you know, about Ray a little bit more. So I know there must be lots of people out there be like, wait, I want to know more about Ray. So please listen to the earlier episode, but also check out our show notes because we have his full bio there. And also, I think the best way to get in touch with you would be LinkedIn. Yes. Sounds good. Yes. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining and listening to this episode. Take this opportunity to explore your own boundaryless leadership. Thank you for listening to Boundaryless Leadership with Nozomi Morgan. Be sure to check the show notes for information regarding today's guest and to email Nozomi directly. Join us next week for another episode. We'll be right back.